0: passion for god and compassion for our neighbor reaching people with jesus this is crosswinds church and now here's pastor kurt truxas if you're somebody new my name is kurt i'm one of the pastors and it's great to have you uh, some of the things I we do that are a little different on uh, Usually on Friday, I send out a, a, a weekly email. Any of you guys ever seen that email? It's gone out? A few of you? Okay, if you don't have your hand up, you should have seen that email. Uh, and you want to get, a, get hold and watch those emails. I send them out. Usually they're on Facebook. Uh, we put them on the top of our weekly email. And they also go out on the church app. And I try to keep them relatively short because I know we're always busy, just, just a few announcements, but then I love to go in those emails and I like to visit people who are new to the church or people who've been around the church for a while and just sort of introduce you to them. So maybe if you've seen the emails, you've seen that I've had a chance to go join farmers as they're riding around in carb- combines, had a chance to go to a dairy and get some cows milked, Uh, had a chance to see a guy laying tile in a bathroom, and uh, also had a chance to go to a local ice cream shop. Somebody has to sample the flavors. You know, it's good. Uh, But every once in a while, I like to break it up a little bit, and I do a little longer video, and I did that this past week for you. I don't know if you had a chance to see it. I interviewed one of the owners of our local Jersey Mike's restaurant. Uh, Full disclosure, uh, he's not a Christian, uh, and he has never really attended church, but he is a really nice guy, and he makes good sandwiches. And I always see him and talk to him, and he's friendly. And I asked, you know, you went through all kinds of training at Jersey Mike's about how to open a successful business and how to be successful in a small town. Maybe there's lessons that we could learn as a church about how we can better reach people in our community and be successful in reaching them in our small town. And would you be able to sit down with me and I could do a little interview? And he agreed to that. And so it was a lot of fun. Um, one of the things he said, that Jersey Mikes, they teach you that you are not just there to make sandwiches. But when people walk in the door, you have to be positive positive and you have to take a genuine interest in everyone who comes in the door, as well as, by the way, I'm gonna pause. I never dismissed the kids, did I, Robert? Kids, get out of here. You don't wanna hear my Jersey Mike story because then you don't wanna go there for lunch. Yeah. Sorry about that, kids. All right. All right, back to Jersey Mike's. So he, t- <clears throat> he said, we don't just make sandwiches, uh, but we have to take, we want to be positive and want to take a genuine interest in people. Said, we were told to be willing to share a little bit about ourselves and to remember whatever they share about themselves. They said that is super important in our current culture to be a successful business. And I thought that's something that we can learn from as a church. Because when people walk in the doors, we're not a sandwich shop, but they are checking us out. They're checking out the product, see if the product is any good, and then they're wondering, do people about me in this church? Do people in this church actually care about me? Will people in this church take a genuine interest in me? Will people in this church re- remember my name and what's important to me? That's what people are asking, and I thought that's something that as a church we can really take to heart. That's what it takes to be successful in our current culture. So that's a challenge for us. It's right out of that video. By the way, if you didn't see the video, that's just a little encouragement to download the church app, scan the QR code in the back of your bulletin to download the app, then go to the Spirit Lake Communications group. It's right there on the top, a link to the video and I encourage you to enjoy it. But why I give you that challenge about taking a genuine interest in people and remembering their names and being friendly, I also want to, at the same time, compliment you, because I know a number of us do that naturally and do that very well, and I'm so proud of you guys for that. I can say that because two weeks ago, a friend of mine came to church. Now, you need to understand that I've been inviting him all the time for the last two years, And He sort of even got, I sort of dropped off the prayer list for a while because I figured God wasn't going to answer that prayer. Every once in a while, then he comes back on. I keep praying about it. But surprise, surprise, two weeks ago, he showed up. And of course, he knows that I'll take a genuine interest in him when he walks in the door. What really made me super proud is when a number of you walked up to him and spent time talking to him and took an interest in him. And he knew that right away. And it made a huge difference. So, why I'm challenging you to continue doing that, I also want to encourage a number of you who are already doing that. Because that's essential for us as we try to be a church that is reaching people with Jesus. Amen. 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 All right, let's dive into our study. If you have your outlines, take them out. We're going to start under the section called Background. We're back in 2 Samuel today. And you'll remember in first and for 1 Samuel and in at least the first part of 2 Samuel, David has been a man on the run. Constantly even having Saul chase him, Abner chase him, Ishbosheth against him, you name it, he's been constantly running. But finally he is now installed as king over all Israel. Things are going really well. 2 Samuel chapters 8 through 10 are the high point of Jesus or of David's life and of David's reign. Two weeks ago, we were in 2 Samuel chapter 8, and in that chapter, we looked at the conquests of David's kingdom. We learned that when God gave the dimensions of the promised land to Abraham, and the same dimensions he were given to Moses, and also he gave the same dimensions to Joshua later in history, it was actually a much larger promised land than what Israel had up to that point conquered. When David became king, they only possessed a small part of the promised land, but David took on the role of being the new Joshua and returning to the conquering of the promised land. And for the first time in Israel's history, they actually owned and conquered the full extent of the promised land under David. So we saw David was a great conquering hero and doing God's work. But we also learn in 2 Samuel chapter 8 the character of David's kingdom. How he ran his government. So the description was he was known for his justice and his righteousness. He was fair. He was just. He didn't tolerate corruption in his reign. In fact, um, he didn't play favorites. He didn't have... uh, Anybody he didn't tolerate ego, he didn't tolerate pride, had a huge level of integrity. Which, by the way, would be sort of refreshing for us, wouldn't it? People in government that don't tolerate pride, that don't play favorites, that aren't filled with their ego. Man, that's almost impossible to find nowadays. But that was what David's government was known for. Today... When we get to the next chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 9, we're going to see that David was not just a conquering hero. He was not just a man whose government was known for righteousness and justice and integrity. But he was also a man and a leader of compassion and grace. A man with a tender and caring heart. What a wonderful combination that would be in a leader a tender person who is also a conquering hero and filled with integrity and justice. By the way, all of this will come crashing down for David in just a little while because we're in 2 Samuel chapter 9. When we get to 2 Samuel chapter 11, when he's riding the crest of the wave, that's when he enters into an adulterous relationship with a woman named Bathsheba. She becomes pregnant with his child, and to cover his sin up, he murders her husband. And from there on out in the rest of the book, it's a slow, constant, downhill drain on David's life, which is an incredible reminder that whenever we sin, it leads to suffering. Sin never, ever pays. But at this point, we're in 2 Samuel chapter 9 things are still going extremely well for David and we're going to focus on his incredible kindness. One of the things we're going to see is David is not just known for his kindness as a king but his kindness is actually a preview of God's kindness to us through the greater son of David, Jesus Christ. How does that happen? (laughs) We'll find out shortly. Let's dive into our text. By the way, I've broken the text up into just little areas of kindness because that's sort of the main theme of the chapter, the kindness of God's king. Number one, kindness promised, the first verse. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? David has been king over Israel at this point for about a a decade. The first decade, we know, was a very high-stress time because we covered that two weeks ago in chapter 8. David was conquering the kingdoms around him, and at one point he found himself fighting three kings at once on two different battlefronts. You remember, he's fighting two kings to the north. He was fighting the king of the Edomites to the south. And he was actually writing Psalms at that time saying, God, unless you step in and intervene, we are toast. And God did step in. God did carry him through those trials. And now David's in a point of his life where things are finally starting to settle down and return to a sense of normal. And as that happens, his thoughts begin to shift. They shift to a good friend of his that he had known 15, 20 years before. The man's name is Jonathan, uh, one of the sons of of Saul. And 15 to 20 years before, David had made a a promise to him, and he wanted to make sure he kept that promise. (coughs) This is why David asked, is there still anyone anyone left from Saul's kingdom that is still alive. Remember how many of them had died. Saul had died on Mount Gilboa. Three of Saul's sons had also died on Mount Gilboa, defending their father. Then when we got into 2 Samuel, Abner, the commander of Saul's army, died. And Ishbosheth. the remaining son of Saul, also died. David did not put his hand out against any of these people. God took them out one by one. And when David asked if there was still any descendants of Saul left, the reason most kings would typically ask this question at this point is to find out who remained from the old regime so they could kill them, they could bump them off, and there would no longer ever be a threat to their power. But that's not what happens here. Years earlier, David had promised both Saul and Jonathan, that when he became king, he would not cut off their descendants. He would not kill their grandchildren and their offspring. If you go back to 1 Samuel, you can see when Saul was realizing that it was what the future held and that David would be king and he'd be on the outs. Look what Saul made, said to David. He said this, Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. Because Saul knows what happens when there's a new king. All the descendants of the old king are wiped out. Jonathan had a similar request, also in in 1 Samuel. Where Jonathan said this, and do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. He says, David, you've been so good. You've been so loyal and so kind to me. Don't forget to show that kind of love to my offspring when you finally become king. Don't cut them all off. Well, the first thing I want us to notice about David at this point is David is a man of his word. Even though these promises were made to Saul and made to Jonathan 15 to 20 years prior, and I doubt many people knew about these promises, David was sure to make sure he could keep these promises. When when the crisis that he was in front of was done, which is all those wars, he set about to keep his word. Today, many politicians make promises to get in office, but very few politicians keep the promises once they're actually in office. Isn't that true? David was different that way. He would be a man of his word. I thought, this is a great reminder for us, isn't it? As Christians, as sons and daughters of King Jesus, (coughs) we want to be people who don't forget our promises, no matter how long ago they were made. We want to be people who also keep our promises. And that marks us out as different in a world where everyone says promises but rarely keeps them at all. Now, why would, does David want to keep this promise? He says this in the end of verse one. So I can show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. The word kindness here, In the Hebrew it actually carries a lot more freight than what the English word kindness holds. In Hebrew it's the word hesed. Hesed doesn't just mean being kind to someone. It means being loyal to someone. It means showing loyal love to someone. In spite of the circumstances, no matter how difficult it is to keep, it's being faithful and true and showing love and keeping your word. Today, maybe Hesed love is seen best in the marriage covenant. When somebody gets married, they say, I, I promise, you know, to have and to hold you for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part, I will be faithful and loyal in my love to you forever. That's this what this word is talking about. That's the kind of character that we are to have and that we are to keep and by the way Hesed love is not just to be seen in um, marriage it's to be seen by Christians in all their relationships when we make a promise we keep a promise even if things beget get a little bit difficult even when things get hard we keep our word we're faithful and loyal in our love I thought about that for us as a church You know, when we have a kid up here and we dedicate a baby, one of the things I love to do is I ask, you know, this baby is going to need, thank you, Kevin. This baby is going to need Sunday school teachers. This baby is going to need Awana leaders. Do you promise to be the Awana leaders and the Sunday school teachers and the youth group leaders for this child? And what does everybody say? We will. And then comes time to recruit the teachers. And what happens? we very quickly and very conveniently forget our promises. We're to be different. We have to be something we should all jump at. It's a promise we want to keep. Think about membership at Crosswinds. Membership at Crosswinds, we talk about, I will be faithful in attendance when I'm a member. I'll be involved serving when I'm a member. And I'll regularly give to the work of the church when I am a member. But then what often happens after we've made those promises? Well, I would normally be faithful in attendance, but I really have a busy summer right now. So maybe I'll see you in the fall. Oh, I would normally serve in the church, you know, serve in one service and attend one service. Do you realize I would be there all Sunday morning? (sighs) Keep our promises, Uh, give to the church, Well, I used to give until they changed their brand of coffee. And now I'm not too sure I like it anymore. You know, but as Christians, even when the church maybe goes in a direction that we wouldn't necessarily choose, a color of a carpet isn't what we would necessarily want, or things aren't done exactly the way we would normally do things ourselves, we're still faithful. We're still loyal. Because that is the kind of promises we make. And those are the kind of promises that we keep. Let's get back into our story. Now that we know the kind of promise that's being talked about here with David that he made to Jonathan. Kindness initiated. Now, there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. And they called him, called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. David is trying to find if anybody is left alive in Saul's house, in Saul's kingdom. And his servants look far and wide and they can't seem to find anybody. But they find this guy named Ziba who's actually not biologically related to Saul. He happens to be the chief servant who served in Saul's house and was in charge of Saul's farm. That's as close as they could get. So they bring Ziba in, and they ask him, is there anybody, anywhere that is still alive? By the way, at this time, Ziba looks like a really good guy. As we go further in this, his story in 2 Samuel, we'll have definite reasons to begin to question his character. At this point, though, he looks fine. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him. So David says, Ziba, is there anybody left alive? And that word kindness, by the way, it's that same Hebrew word hesed, loyal, faithful love. But notice what kind of loyal, faithful love he wants to show, the kindness of God to him. The kind of love I want to show to the descendants of Saul are the kind is the kind of love and faithfulness and loyalty that God shows to us. Folks, does God ever turn his back on you? Is God always faithful and loyal to you? Does God give us far more love than we ever deserve? Does he just blow us away with his kindness? This is what David wants to do for any descendants he could find left alive from Saul and Jonathan's house. And Ziba said to the king, "Well, there is still a son of Jonathan, he is crippled in his feet. On the surface, as I mentioned, it seems like Ziba is acting as a loyal servant of David. We'll find out in the future. There's reasons to doubt this. Because the way Ziba says this, it seems like uh, this cripple is the only one left. By the time we get to 2 Samuel chapter 21, we'll see that there are other descendants of Saul that are left. But Ziba, at this point, doesn't seem to tell the whole truth. And it's reasonable to assume, by the way, that David also does not know about this son. He has no idea about this son's story and how this son ended up with his disability. If you've been with us for the earlier parts of the study, you'll know about this man and how he ended up disabled, because we covered him in 2 Samuel chapter 4. I'm going to read for you from verse 4 to tell a little bit about his story. Jonathan the son of Saul had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. When news came from the Mount Gilboa area that Saul and Jonathan were dead and that the Israelites had lost miserably. That news reached Saul's hometown and they were in a panic. They knew it wouldn't be long until the Philistines made it to Saul's hometown and tried to wipe out the rest of Saul's descendants. Mephibosheth was five at the time. His nurse picked him up and ran for her life holding him and either tripped or dropped him in such a way that it broke his back and he ended up crippled for life. And the king said to him, well, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he's in the house of Makir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. These names and these locations sort of sounds like a little bit of theological potluck soup. I don't know these guys. We don't know these locations. Doesn't sound like there's much significance here. Actually, there's a great deal of significance to these names and locations. I won't get into the significance of the name right now, but I will get into the significance of the location this morning. Mephibosheth is in Lodabar. Let me show you where it is on a map. There's Lodabar. It's just to the east side of the Jordan River. Uh, up there, as you get, get closer to the Sea of Galilee, and you say to yourself, "That doesn't sound like anything special." Until you understand the name in Hebrew, "Debar" is the Hebrew word for word or thing. "Lo" is the negative particle. It means no. He is living in a place called nowhere. A place called nothing. What do you think it looks like? You got it. Here's a satellite view. The left side is the part coming out from the Jordan River and then all of a sudden it breaks into deserts. Mephibosheth has been hiding out in the desert where nobody else in their right mind would ever go. While his father and his grandfather were a prince and and, and a king over Israel, men of legendary strength and legendary athletic ability, as for Mephibosheth, he's a cripple who can do absolutely nothing. While his father was a prince and his grandfather a king and they lived in the center of the land... And enjoyed the best of life. He lives in a desert. In a guy's house. Hiding out in the middle of no place. Away from people. He's the exact opposite. Of what one generation before was like. Now the next point we look at is this. Kindness is doubted. Then King David sent. And brought him from the house of Makir, The son of Amiel at Lodabar. Put yourself in Mephibosheth's shoes. He knows that new kings and new kingdoms wipe out and destroy everyone in the line of the old king and the old kingdom. Life has been really hard for him. He's been a cripple. He's been hiding in the desert, trying to make sure that nobody knows where he is trying to stay low on the grid. Nobody could find, remember, the descendants of King Saul. But Ziba, great guy that he is, ratted him out. Now he is on his way to see the king. He is pretty much positive that he is going to lose his life in front of the king. He's one of those guys going, boy, doesn't life really stink? I'm a cripple. I'm living in a desert, now I'm going to get killed simply because of my father and my grandfather. That's what's going through his head. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David. It's safe to assume Mephibosheth knew nothing about David's promise to his father. It's safe to assume Mephibosheth Knew nothing about his promise to his Mephibosheth's grandfather. No doubt he was trembling the whole trip, afraid for his life. And this is what happened when he finally came in the king's door. And he fell on his face and paid homage. I don't know if Mephibosheth used an ancient version of crutches. I don't know if he used an an ancient version of a wheelchair, but it was painful for him. He got flat on his face in front of the king, trying to give honor to the king and to beg for mercy from the king. And the next words, no doubt, shocked him. It was just one word. It was his name spoken by David. And David said, Mephibosheth, Now, the text doesn't tell us tone of how this word was spoken. But I'm willing to bet there was grace in that name. There was compassion in that tone. There wasn't anger. There wasn't hatred. There wasn't a desire for blood. There wasn't a desire for death. As David said that one word, Mephibosheth's name. But it didn't sink into Mephibosheth. Look what his next word is. But he answered, Behold, I am your servant. David, I'm just here to serve you, whatever you want. Now we see kindness assured. And David said to him, Do not fear. Can you picture Mephibosheth, this cripple, shaking like a leaf in front of David? And David is, Don't be afraid, Mephibosheth. Stop shaking. And then he says this, for I will show you kindness. In the English, it says, I will show you kindness. We know it's the Hebrew word hesed. I'm going to show you loyal, faithful, love. But it's even more interesting in the Hebrew here because it's in the emphatic tense. Because David says, I will surely, definitely, overwhelmingly show you kindness and love. Why? For the sake of your father, Jonathan. All of my love, all of my appreciation and thankfulness to Jonathan, who who saved my life many times, who was my friend, who helped me. He's not here To pour out thankfulness upon him. But his son, you, you are here. I'm going to pour all that thankfulness out on you. And David does this two ways. First, David restored all the land of Saul to Mephibosheth. He says in verse 7, And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. This is interesting. When Saul's... Saul was killed, and all of his sons were killed, if the last surviving relative was Mephibosheth, where should all of Saul's vast resources and farmland have gone? It should have gone to Mephibosheth in the first place. Somehow, Ziba had wormed his way in there, and Ziba, the chief servant, was now in charge of this massive farm and receiving all the income from this massive farm. While Mephibosheth, the actual rightful heir, was living in the desert in obscurity. I told you he wasn't quite above board. So David flips it around and gives him what was actually rightfully his, a great inheritance. The second thing he gives is this. David gave Mephibosheth a permanent seat at his table. And you shall eat... At my table, he says, always. That may not sound like much, but this is a huge privilege. Who has the privilege of eating at your dinner table? Thank you. Only those who are family. What David does is he essentially adopts Mephibosheth as his own son. From here on out, Mephibosheth will sit next to the princes and daughters of the king at the family table. Every private family conversation, Mephibosheth is part of. Think about how welcomed he feels. Think about how loved he feels. He went from being a cripple that lived in isolation in the the desert to now having his vast inheritance returned and a permanent seat at the king's table adopted into David's own family. Well, this is an amazing story of God, David's incredible kindness, the kindness of this king, But do you see how this parallels us? Do you see how what David did parallels what Jesus did? Do you see how Mephibosheth's story actually is our story? Like Mephibosheth, who had lost his place because of Saul's sin, and he ended up as a cripple. We've lost our rightful place in a relationship with God because of Adam's sin. We too have been crippled by sin. This is Mephibosheth, was in the middle of no place in the desert, going nowhere with his life. Once we were crippled by sin, we were in no place in this world, going nowhere in this life. But then David sought out Mephibosheth, And David restored the inheritance that was rightfully his. And then David gave Mephibosheth an honored seat forever at the king's table. But isn't this what God has done for us through Jesus Christ? He sought us out with Jesus Christ. He restored to us the inheritance as the sons and daughters of God that was lost when we, our forefather Adam fell into sin. And then he adopted us as brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. And you and I have a seat forever at the king's table. While David was incredibly kind to Mephibosheth, our king, Jesus, and his kindness to us is far greater than David ever did. Or David ever could do. Amen? Amen. Now look at this kindness that God has given us. Give you some passages of Scripture from the New Testament. First Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy towards us, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. See the inheritance there? Mephibosheth had his inheritance restored. We are given an even greater inheritance in all of eternity through Jesus. we Ephesians chapter 2, 4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy, and there's the kindness of our king, because of the great love with which he has loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That's how Mephibosheth was saved. By God's grace when he was as good as dead and gone. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. (laughs) David showed the immeasurable amount of his kindness by raising Mephibosheth up, giving him an incredible inheritance and a seat at the table. But that is what God has done for us through Jesus. Showed incredible kindness to us. And through all of eternity, he will show the immeasurable riches of his kindness to us through Jesus. And I like it this way, Ephesians chapter two, verse 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Paul's point is, you think you can understand how good God is? you have no concept of how good God is. If you're blown away by how kind and how good David was to Mephibosheth the cripple, we should be even more blown away by how kind and how good God is to us through Jesus Christ. He's blessed us far more than David ever did to Mephibosheth. Revelation 21 verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The one thing that David could not do for Mephibosheth was change the crippling in his legs. That is one way that the sin that had been done against him and experienced by him could not be fixed. But I want you to know that through Jesus Christ, every single effect of sin on our life will one day be washed away. Those who are cripples in this life will not be cripples in the next life. Those who have been broken by sin and who are scarred by sin in their hearts and in their minds in this life will not be broken by sin and scarred by sin in the next life because Jesus is such a good kind, good king and a kind king. He takes that all, my friends, away. This is what blows us away. Now the thought hit me as I was in my study. Wouldn't it be strange if at this point, after all the immense kindness that David has shown to him of restoring his inheritance and giving him a seat at the king's table forever, if Mephibosheth turned it all down and walked away and went back to the desert. That would be utter foolishness to turn your back on the kindness of the king. But folks, that is what some people do in the church. They have the kindness of the king right in front of them, but they turn their back on it and they walk back to the desert of sin, to the purposeless of life and they turn their back on all the good things that God wants to shower upon them through Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, thinking about walking away from Jesus, walking away from the church, please do not turn your back on the kindness of our good and wonderful Savior and God and of Jesus Christ, our good King. It would be utter foolishness to do that. Next, we have kindness questions. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Mephibosheth is so blown away by this. He just looks at David and says, what are you doing? I'm a nobody. I'm a worthless person. I'm a cripple. How can you show this kindness to me? I'm like a dead dog. Useless, repulsive, unwanted, that's me. But here's the interesting application. Do you ever wake up in the morning and feel like a dead dog? Do you ever feel like you're somebody who's useless in life? Who's a drag on other people in life? Who's not necessarily a great contributor in life? I want you to know, that our king is so good, he loves to shower kindness on those kind of people. People who can't give much, people who can't do much, people who've been broken on the wheels of life. Those are the kind of people that our king, Jesus, loves to shower his grace, kindness, and mercy upon. Isn't that wonderful? Now the kindness is given. Then the king called Zeba. Saul's servant said to him, Well, all that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat, which implies maybe before this he hasn't had much bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Let me read this. Now Zeba had 15 sons and 20 servants. He was a pretty successful guy. This was a servant who was so successful, he had 20 of his own servants. Incidentally, uh, the area of Saul's farm is a pretty large estate if he needs 20 servants to be able to farm it. So Mephibosheth goes from complete poverty to great riches in this exchange. Then Zeba said to the king, According to all that my lord and king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table. And notice this, like one of the king's sons. The emphasis is David has adopted him into his family like one of his own children. The kindness is experienced. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. Now, you wonder what's the significance. The important part is that David did not wipe out Saul's line. This son, you could actually trace his children and his family line in 1st Chronicles, in chapters 8 and 9, all the way to the, cap- to the exile and the conquest of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And they become some of the leaders in the tribe of Benjamin. And this is all ensured by David's kindness. And all who lived in Zeba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. No longer in Lodabar. No longer in the desert. But he lived in the capital city. No longer in obscurity. But in the centrality of the kingdom. For he ate always at the king's table. Every family meal, every family conversation, he was there, part of it, because he was now adopted into David's own family. And now he was lame in both of his feet. In spite of all the kindness that David showed to him and all the restoration David tried to give to him, that is the one thing he couldn't change, the lameness of his feet. But it is the one thing that our king, can change and will change. Any way that sin has crippled us, sin has ruined us and injured us, will be healed from us by our king in eternity. Three quick applications to summarize what we've covered. Number one, like David, we're to be men and women who keep our promises. Men and women of integrity. That's Hesed love, faithful and loyal love. Like a marriage, for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, and in sickness and in health. No matter how difficult it is to keep our promises, we will keep our promises. Promises not just in marriage, but promises we make to other people. Like in a church membership, promises to attend regularly, promises to give faithfully, promises to serve consistently. Those are promises we don't just make, but as Christians, they're promises we keep. Secondly, this is a major and a very big important point. David's undeserved kindness to Mephibosheth is a picture of God's undeserved kindness to us through Jesus Christ. Mephibosheth was the grandson of a king and by that king's sin, he lost it all and ended up crippled because of Adam's sin we lost it all, and we also committed our own sin, and we ended up crippled by sin. But just as David sought out Mephibosheth and overwhelmed him with his inheritance, and by giving him a seat around the table and adopting him into his family, Jesus Christ sought us out. He overwhelmed us by giving us an inheritance in heaven that is beyond our wildest comprehension. And he adopted us into his family, making us sons and daughters of the king. The third point is this. As Mephibosheth was filled with humility and gratitude for David's undeserved kindness, we should be filled with humility and gratitude for David's undeserved kindness to us too. Now, we don't see that in this particular text. But as we move forward and we continue in 2 Samuel, will find that this incredible kindness that David shows to Mephibosheth deeply marks him. He becomes a very humble man and a very grateful man because he's been touched by the kindness of the king forever. And if David is marked by humility and gratefulness because of the kindness of David, Mephibosheth is marked by the humility of of David, kindness of David, shouldn't we be marked just as well? by the grace of our King, Jesus? Shouldn't we be known as people that are filled with gratefulness, humility, and kindness because of the kindness of our King? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage, that we have a little window of the kindness of David which is a foretaste of the much greater kindness that you have shown to us through Jesus. And as that kindness that Mephibosheth marked him for life, filling him with humility and gratitude, may the kindness that you have shown to us through Jesus mark us for life, so that in this world we would be people that are known for our humility around others and our gratefulness to our king, our wonderful King that saved us completely and fully and blessed us beyond our wildest imaginations, King Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. A complete archive of sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thank you for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.